life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are wonderful. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode, I sit down with Brian McKenzie. Brian McKenzie is a world-renowned strength and conditioning coach. He's the innovator of CrossFitEndurance.com, and he was featured in Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Body. He studied altitude and hypoxic training for over 10 years, ran over 30 ultramarathons, including the Western States 100, and was a finisher at the Angeles Crest 100-mile endurance run. He's the author of the book, Power, Speed, Endurance, which teaches movement patterns, emphasizing in running, cycling, and swimming so that you can improve your biomechanics, get more out of your workouts in less time, improve endurance, cardiovascular strength, and aerobic capacity. McKenzie's program teaches over 70 seminars per year worldwide, and he provides free programming via CrossFitEndurance.com. In today's episode, we cover why the vast majority of people are using improper running biomechanics, and that is the reason that they experience back pain and knee pain how to identify if you are one of those people and what you should be doing instead, understanding the inextricable ties between human movement and longevity, the best exercises for increasing not just lifespan, but health span, how Brian programs his weekly training, his favorite workouts, exercises, and movement patterns, the unique breath work he now incorporates into all of his workouts for increased performance, hyperoxygenation, and power output, and his most effective strategies for getting motivated and staying motivated so that you can keep your results long-term. So without further ado, please welcome Brian McKenzie to the show. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Anthony, thanks for having me. I was hoping you could start out by sharing your story and kind of the journey that you've gone through to get to where you are today. No problem. That can take a long time. Um, I'll give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version of that. I was a, a pretty rebellious kid who um, was kind of trapped in a world that I felt unchallenged in. I gravitated towards uh, you know what was considered, I guess, extreme sports then, or illegal sports for that matter. Uh, skateboarding was a crime when I grew up. I grew up in a place where skateboarding was very heavy, heavy, heavy duty. And uh, we had one of the very few ramps in, not that I rode ramp a lot, but we had one of the very few like 12 foot ramps with a foot avert. And back then, that was like, nobody had these things. And it was like, so every professional skater in the world who was really good, which they all happened to be from like California. They came and I got to watch. And I think I might have dropped in a few times on that 12-foot ramp. I mean, I was, I was a kid. I was like 10 or 11 at the time or maybe 12. At any rate, I also was a working sport athlete. My mom figured out at four. Um, <clears throat> my parents didn't know what to do with all that energy and getting in trouble all the time. And skateboarding was a crime. And they didn't know that they, if they liked skateboarding or not. Um, 
you know, but, but they, but they were, you know, Hey, go ahead, do it. You know, just don't get into trouble. Even though I was, I was smoking cigarettes back in the time, you know, and doing all this shit, but they stuck me in a pool at the age of four and I took to water like a fish. So I started doing swimming meets at like five years old. Um, it might even been before that, but it, you know, I, I was involved in swimming, um, and inevitably I played soccer. Uh, I did baseball for a little stint until I got bored. So the staples of my life were sports and they largely probably saved my life. I got into a ton of trouble and I hung out with a lot of bad people. I grew up in the, the Orange County I grew up in was not the Orange County you see on TV now. Um, and it's been cleaned up a lot. It's not that it was ever really too bad, but there were parts of it. I mean, I knew I hung out, I, I grew up in the punk rock movement there was more skinheads in Orange County at the time than like, you know, you could shake a stick at. And um, it was it was a dying thing at the time, but I was around all this chaos and this and and going to punk shows and going to metal shows and hanging around the hardcore groups and the drugs and the alcohol and the partying, but I was an athlete and so I, I, I had this kind of push-pull going on at all times, and, and I finally, you know, out of high school, it got a little ugly, and, you know, college, I was I swam a little bit. I went to a, a junior college, and I, I kind of was planning on going to JC and then going into, you know, university, and I got involved in exercise science, um, and, and I once I hit that exercise science thing, everything changed, and I had no idea what I wanted to do prior to that. And in getting involved in that, at the same time, I was kind of like introduced to triathlon. Um, and I was a short course sprinter in swimming. And I was a driver uh, and I guarded two meters in water polo. So I was literally the sprinter guy. And I cheated in workouts every single day, yet I was the fastest guy on the team. And so I kind of knew where my physiology stood, um, meaning I was a sprinter. And so I, I you know, we, we, I got introduced to the weight room early on. Um, my dad got into powerlifting as I was a kid. Um, so I got to see this stuff. We had a garage gym before CrossFit existed. Um, not that I did CrossFit before CrossFit existed. I did weight training prior to even ever understanding CrossFit. And we melded kind of the two back then. Um, but when I got into triathlon, I d ditched all the weight training and all this, all that stuff. And I was going through school and I just kind of ditched everything I kind of understood about it and went the long, slow distance route. And it boded well for a while. And I developed pretty good. Um, you know, I developed pretty well for quite, for, for, for a few years. And then it was just like, I hit a wall and I was like, I, a buddy of mine had said, Hey, why don't you just do some squats, add some squats each week to keep yourself, you know, a little bit more in tune from a functional standpoint and from a, um, you know, just a, a, a whole like, you know, a neuroendocrine response level, you know? And, um, so I squatted a Smith bar with 75 pounds on it. Um, and I think I got four reps in and I might, I might've got like maybe halfway down. Right. And four reps in, I felt like I had torn every single muscle fiber in my lower extremity. And at 75 pounds, I was questioning everything about everything I had ever done. Cause I, I had gotten up to like a 315 back squat when I was younger, you know, 
And I was the only kid back then in my neighborhood that was doing that. I know, you know, but I wasn't playing football, right? The football kids, like I could squat with the football kids, but I was this water polo kid. And so it just spun me for a loop in what I thought fitness was. And so I just started challenging things and started in my own world. Um, at that same time, I started training people professionally and it, it got more and more serious and the athletes I was working with, a lot of them were runners, and I, I had met Dr. Nicholas Romanoff around the same time. I had spent some time getting mentored by him, and he showed me an entirely different world in looking at human movement, and that changed everything in about 2002. And I, I, I literally had no – 2001, 2002, it just blew my doors off. Like I just thought we went out and trained. Nobody, nobody was talking about mechanics. Nobody. And he was. And he showed me how to run. And I went from being a novice runner type who had a bunch of shit going on, like plantar fasciitis, IT band syndrome. And in one weekend, it was all gone. I didn't feel pain. I felt more efficient. I felt like I could really improve things. Um, and I was launched into this whole thing of understanding things differently. Um, I inevitably found CrossFit via the internet like everybody did back then and I was one foot in one foot out for about six months um, until we when we were redeveloping the whole endurance model rethinking it which you know we were playing with this whole model back in 2005 uh, which was the CrossFit but the CrossFit endurance model but now is like the power speed endurance model um, is we were using strength and conditioning. I tried powerlifting and, and endurance. I tried um, the kettlebell stuff and endurance, and we had success in all of that. And then it was literally figuring out how to take CrossFit and looking at CrossFit as a diagnostic tool, not only for intensity, but for human movement. And I saw the functional movement screen as this great thing probably, I don't know, 13 years ago that I went through it. When they first started this thing, Lee Burton and Gray Cook, and I was like, God, this is so awesome. These guys see something so great. But it was almost like you got this big – you got you inflated this balloon and had this great balloon of information, but then it just popped because there was no real way that they had formulated how to deal with dysfunction. Sure, you could lift the heels in an overhead squat, which they had, right? But – Lifting the heels didn't fix the problem, you know, and it was like, so how do I scale this or what do I do? And, oh, it was a scale and then I've got CrossFit and I've got this thing happening and it's like I'm overhead squatting but my shoulders are here and it's like, you know, we're, I'm like we're figuring out all this stuff and if my first, my second CrossFit seminar I went to because I was speaking at these level ones when I got introduced to CrossFit because I was the endurance guy, I met Kelly Starrett. And I heard a guy talk about the human shoulder in a manner that every single human being could relate to. And I was like, whoa, there's the guy right there. And then I got up and talked about running. And he was like, whoa, there's the guy right there. And so Kelly and I had this intense relationship from the get-go. Um, and this was 2007. And so I had gotten a background in understanding running and human movement, starting with running very early on and brought it into a guy who had a very classical education of understanding of human movement, 
but it was a little unorthodox because he comes from an Australian school of teaching where they talk about joint mobility and things. And, and, and Kelly was having, I went up and visited Kelly and Kelly was literally having people post knee replacement surgery, deadlifting that next day. And people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's like, look, I'm not putting 135 pounds or 225 on the bar. I'm giving them a PVC pipe, but they're moving in a functional way. And I'm like, dude, this, like, there's something going on. Like, we're getting something here. Like, you know, and I, you know, Kelly couldn't run. And he, his knees hurt when he ran. And Kelly was wearing North Face hiking boots with insert, shoe inserts. And I was like, dude, like, what are you doing, you hippie? Like, you're like, you're destroying yourself, you know? And, um, and, and, and so I showed him how to run. And he was like, oh, my God. Like, I now know what our glutes are supposed to do for us. And, and my hamstrings work. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, and, my knees, and your knees don't hurt. And he's like, no. And so it was like this crazy thing. And that was how it all started. And that was how it all kind of happened. And that went on. I, I just gave you the 15-minute explanation of my life. No, that was great. For someone listening, how do you run? Um, the way nature intended. That doesn't mean how you naturally fit in. <laughs> um, I, I, I am probably the biggest fan of Nicholas Romanoff and the pose method, but I'm not the guy who's going to say pose method. <laughs> I'm the guy who's going to say you need – to pay attention. You need to do what nature's telling you to do. You need run. I, I think the pose method is running. That's what running is. I think the way we're teaching squatting is the way squatting is. Um, I think the way we're teaching pressing is the way pressing is. That doesn't mean that just because I take a hundred human beings and we have 16 or 20 variations of that, that that's what we've got. I could take 16 or I, I could take a hundred horses. I could take a hundred cheetahs. I could take a hundred rhinoceroses and they all run and move in the exact same way. Why are they doing that? And why are we not? I don't need to move like a rhino, but, and I don't need to move like a monkey, but why is it the monkeys move the same? Why is it they do everything the same? Why is everybody else? Because they're paying attention to something we're not. They're, they're connected to something we're not. Does that mean we need to get rid of our computers, our phones, our technology, and all this shit that we've accumulated to understand things? No. I think running is basically understanding position. And what is that position? And what are the unique things? What are, what are the, the, the similarities that all of us hit with running versus the differences? And when we start to look at those similarities, the fact is, is everything is everything. Whether I'm squatting, I'm pressing, I'm running, or I'm doing. If I'm pressing, that barbell, and, and I'm talking about a strict press, you know, but I could talk about a push-up push if you want. But the fact is, is if I'm talking about a strict press, that bar, the most efficient place for that bar to travel, is vertically with where my general center of mass is in alignment. But... If I'm pressing and my range of motion is limited, but I feel that stress from that lever here, I'm going to compensate through my spine in order to get that over, right? So I'm making this compensatory reaction, and what I've got is my diagnostic tool. And I've got an understanding right now that I've just made a classical error. That classical error, Greg Glassman was has beautifully brought to the world in the fact that he talked about quarter extremity. And we've 
Kelly and I have understood this from our education and where we've gone with our education. The same thing exists within running. So my foot underneath my general center mass, I'm in balance. And if I ask you to pull a foot up underneath your hip, what happens? You, if you stay in place, you are in balance. Okay? So that's that place that everybody gets to where that foot passes underneath that general center mass, right? Now, out of balance, we start to see things like that foot. If I've got that foot pulled up underneath you, where is it? And if it's behind your general center mass, meaning if – so if I just adjust this real quick. So if I've got my foot up, right, and it's underneath my hip, which I know my foot is right now, if I'm forward, my body changes here, right? If I'm back, my body changes here. So the same thing is happening, in, in essence, if I don't understand the position, okay? So running is merely in balance and out of balance. So the ability to fall from one position to the next, and that position just happens to be that foot directly underneath your hips, your general center of mass, both feet switching. But the objective is, is not to put let the one drop then pull the other one up. It's to pull the support foot up prior to the other one dropping so that I'm in the air. Because when I'm in the air, I don't get hurt. And animals do this, and, and, and a lot, most great runners do this very well. Because if you spend enough time doing it, you've got to get efficient. What, what do you keep in mind when you're running? I mean, I'm sure at this point it's, it's pretty much automatic for you. But I've heard different things from you know, pulling in your energy center just yeah. below your belly button, making sure your spine is in alignment, your chest is up, you're leaning a little bit forward. And like, if you think of your body like a gas pedal, where the faster you're running, the more you're leaning, arms are loose, legs are loose. Is that correct recommendations and advice that I've heard? Or what changes and modifications would you suggest? Yes and no. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody because I've used all these cues and all this stuff. But the fact is, is it's never easy. I don't ever not go out on a run. My wife and I went and, and climbed mount, this mount, this little mountain the other day, yesterday, with one of our dogs, and we, and we kind of hiked up up it. Um, we probably went up like, I don't know, 2,000 feet over two miles, which is a pretty good climb, and then we ran down. I'm not ever not thinking about what I should be doing when I'm running and how efficient I can be, and that's just it. How efficient do you feel? If you don't feel very efficient, are you willing to change? That, that, that goes with life. Like if you're not very, you know, that goes with work. That goes with running. Like what variables are you willing to change? Do you understand enough about running and what efficiency is? Meaning if I can draw a picture of what you should look like or show you something that what you should look like, can you, can you create those positions or can you get more efficient to getting to that place? And so I think it comes down to our understanding of something and that ability to be efficient. It should feel weightless. It should feel almost effortless. Now, if I'm running all out, and like yesterday when I was, we were coming down the hill, I'm a very good downhill runner, as I should be, because I've spent, you know, I've spent almost 20 years. You know, I've spent roughly 15 years working on this shit. But I can go fast, very fast downhill. It's where the mistakes start to get made. Is my foot out in front of me? Am I putting on the brakes too much? If when I land, how long am I on the ground? That eats up energy too. So foot out in front, I'm eating up energy. 
foot on the ground too long, I'm eating up even more energy, right? So if I'm missing those points where it's just a quick support and foot back up and using that elastic energy and using as little energy as possible and I'm not making these spinal faults, right? So the spinal faults are simply telling me like I'll, I'll know what's happening based on do I feel my low back right now? Do I feel my chest – like do I have pain up in the front of my chest because – if I do, I'm probably rolled forward with my shoulders versus keeping my shoulders back and being in a, a correct, stable position. My shoulders working properly versus improperly and my elbows are out. Like, how many runners do we see running like this? That, that's a clue right now. Like, I watch people walk and their elbows out, and I'm like internally rotated. They've got no internal rotation of their shoulders. So there's obviously going to be some spinal faults going on in anything, most everything they're going to be doing. And the same goes for the for the hips, you know. In, in in a valgus knee, or I land and my knee drops in, and I don't have that support in an externally rotated position. Does that mean I need to have them squatting more? I don't know. Maybe. What if I just show them how to change the position by standing on one foot and being able to support themselves and, and jump on a or, or bounce on one foot and land in the proper position? It all comes down to how much time you want to spend to understand it, and. It could be as easy as me showing you or you figuring that out by listening to this conversation or watching something on the internet of a great runner and being able to replicate that or are you spending a lifetime trying to recreate through skill, skill development like a musical instrument. What would be your recommendation for someone that wants to shortcut that process? Where's the best place to start? I have, I have power, speed, endurance, an unbreakable runner. Are those the resources that you would recommend them going to? Yeah. One – I would look at Ready to Run through Kelly's book as a diagnostic for getting ready to actually run. Um, it's phenomenal. Then two, look, look at power, speed, endurance from a skill development standpoint. And, and there's what I did was I wanted to make the most basic version I could of how you can get to understand not only running but endurance sports and utilizing strength and conditioning. At, to, to, to elongate what it is you're doing, okay? Because the fact is, and, and there, there are people who don't do any strength and conditioning that will fight me on this, but they're, they're never, like, the, the facts are the facts, and what I've seen is what I've seen. And what, we see, and what we're seeing even in the endurance world now is long, slow distance are just running for extended periods of time it, it, and not understanding running position are a quick rest, are, are a recipe for disaster, meaning you're probably not going to be running into your 50s and 60s. You're probably going to stop because you've destroyed your joints and you've not taken care of the tissue in a manner that's allowed you to do that stuff. And I'm not saying you need to go and become a strength and conditioning expert. I'm saying using human movement and possibly strength and conditioning as a means for keeping your tissue and your joints healthy so that you can continue to do the running from a skill development standpoint. And I think the books have done a pretty good job of that. It's quality over quantity. Quantity is the byproduct of quality, not vice versa. And that's unfortunately what most of any coaching community prior to, I think, you know, five to ten years ago was always teaching. Is It's always about quantity and developing quality out of that. I mean, I was in New Zealand with the New Zealand national team for rowing. Um, we took some girls down there for rowing with my wife, and they their top coach is a guy that firmly believes in 
high, high, high volume and breaking athletes and finding out who's resilient and who's not. His job is to win medals, not to develop a, a lifelong love and connection to rowing. I can see that working from almost a, an artificial selection standpoint, but it's not in the athlete's best interest. It's the, do, it's the dozen eggs at the wall concept. Yeah. Right? <laughs> don't break, you've got winners. And that was the Lydiard concept as well, and there's nothing wrong with either of those concepts. Actually, and both of those guys were New Zealanders <laughs> um, that I just spoke about. But I, I actually think that the, the world has grossly misunderstood what Lydiard was doing. Um, and, and I think that the long, slow distance concept has come out of a, a means of like anything else we do, like more money, more food, more this, more that. Like, I just want to go run a marathon. How about you go get good at 5Ks like every other world champion marathoner did? No joke. Like, they all started at like the 1500 meter distance. And then gradually, over time, years developed. And, you know, hell, I mean, I spent a lot of time getting fast at 5Ks. You know, for a 190-pound guy, an 18-minute 5K ain't, ain't too shabby. And, you know, it could it could have been faster? Hell yes. And then I, you know, wanted to go run longer distances and see what it was like to train out there, you know, do stuff out there. And, you know, you, you suffer consequences for making those jumps. You do all the time. And so I shared those experiences with people. And that's all I've done. You mentioned earlier some people have an inaccurate representation or definition of fitness. What is it to you? And what do you do on a weekly basis to maintain your fitness? I, I think fitness uh, should be a part of a lifestyle. I, I don't think we move enough anymore to necessitate not to use fitness. Um, that said that concept gets largely overdone and I'm as guilty, you know, I, I've been as guilty of it as anybody. Um, I, I, I probably train, I don't know, five, six days a week to some degree if I'm not playing. My playing typically comes in the form of getting in the ocean and surfing or, um, you know, getting out into nature and either riding my bike or, 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 you know, running and climbing a mountain, doing things like that. Um, you know, or moving around, just moving around, right? If I'm, you know, like moving around a lot, I don't need to work out. If I'm, if I just moved or if I, like we just moved our business, like moving in itself, like people don't realize, like that is like, if you're a construction worker and doing heavy construction, you probably don't need to do a whole lot of fitness. You don't, if you're taking care of yourself because you're moving. So, so I think fitness is just largely this thing we've used to, and, and, and rightfully so, to get back to what genetically we're designed to do. And, and the better we move, the more we can move. And the longer duration we can do that. Does that mean we need to go run marathons every month? Probably not. You know, there's nothing. There's not a whole lot physiologically great about running a marathon, nor is there some, anything physiologically great about going and doing like the CrossFit Games, right? It's, it's a war of attrition. And, it, and it's at the highest level. But we look at this thing as like a sport, and, it, and they are to a large degree, but I think we've just over, overdone these things. You sh I, I think the, 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 the concept of CrossFit has been great, um, but it, it, it's really morphed into this thing of like the endurance world, how much you can do. 
And, and it's not about how much you can do. It should be minimum dose, maximum effect. And what are you working on to get yourself better and better over the years? Like if I started CrossFit when I was 30 and I'm now 50, am I better at these movements? If you're not, that's a problem, right? The, the, your times may go down as, as something as, as re, you know, relates to age. But the fact is, is you should be able to do more complex things if you're, sti- if you're sticking with it and doing it which is the same for running. As if I'm running and I'm running well, I should still be able to run the rest of my life. I mean, I'm designed to last a lifetime until the day I die. You know, we're not like animals anymore. We get medicated and prolong a suffer fest versus animals in the wild live very happy, healthy lifestyles largely you know, whether they're hunting and gathering, which some people may equate to suffering, but it's not, <laughs> you know, you know, they live these lives and then when it's time to die, they just go all walk off into the distance and go lay down and die, you know? What role do you think nutrition plays in inflammation, some of these compromised mobility scenarios, plantar fasciitis, things like that, and how do you eat on a daily basis? Uh, a large, large role. I think it's the foundation of what it is we do um, for life. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm of the mindset that, you know, understanding the principles behind something like the paleo diet is important. Understanding the principles behind something like maybe a vegan diet are important. Those principles are not ideological. They don't have to do with me telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing. And I'm using these two as an example because we tend to get very polarizing worlds out of both of those and people telling everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing. I've played around with just about everything. I mean, I, I was on a high-carb diet. I've been on a low-carb diet. I've been in ketosis. I've been I've followed paleo strict. Um, fact is, is my diet, my eating habits, my, my, my eating itself works for me. And I think people need to figure out what works for them. But if they're not willing to experiment and play around, they have no idea what works. It's, it, it's like eat, eating a bunch of crap, but, but you know, performing at 21, you know? <sighs> I, don't have, I can eat whatever I want. Well, of course you can. Your hormones are at their high. Like, you're, you're between 18 and 21. Your high hormones are at their peak, my friend. Like, no, you can eat whatever you want. Why, why do kids continue to grow even though they, they barely eat in their teens and eat like shit, you know? It's like the hormones are raging no matter what, and as time goes on, that changes, and it's like look at the reality of what plants and animals and things that were once alive give you. The entire thing that we exist in is about life and death, and you wouldn't even understand life if you didn't understand death. So I think understanding principles set on, you know, hey, what does my body react to? What doesn't it react to? And what am I willing to figure out in the process? Am I willing to get blood work done first to check this out or do I want to go the other route? Do I want to remove anything my body potentially could have a mild allergy to? The big players, you know, and that's kind of where the paleo diet comes in. Let's get rid of grains and, and anything that, you know, could be representative of celiacs or, or, or a grain response on autoimmune disease or even the, the dairy um, and even legumes, things like that where we see massive allergies from or problems from, then remove that stuff for some time and slowly implement it back in. The problem is, is nobody really wants to go through the process. And I think it's all an experiment. And, and if you're not willing to experiment, you're just not willing to understand. 
And I think that's what life is. It's just a big experiment to be happy. That's well said. And it, it doesn't take a long time. As little as 28 days, you can figure that stuff out by just oh. eliminating the common allergens, reintroduce them one at a time, and see what makes you feel like shit. Yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I figured out, you know, through process and then by getting genetic tests and having blood work done, you know, weird, I thrive on a very, very high cruciferous vegetable diet with a little bit of protein and a lot of quality fats. Me too. Almost. I, I, I mean, I've done it all. And, you know, I mean, I, I was just on a call with a kid earlier and he's like, what do you think of the ketogenic diet? I'm like, it's great from a cyclical standpoint from my experience. Most women can't do well on it. That, from my experience, mm-hmm. they just don't do well on it. And, and you know, you got to figure out what's going to work. But if you want to know, I mean, your brain's probably going to function at a level it's never functioned on once you get into ketosis. You know, you're going to be like, "This is it," and then it's like, if you do too much glycolytic work, this is not it. <laughs> yeah, you know? you've got a non-functioning wiener. You're exhausted all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Last question, then just one fun one. I want to be respectful of your time. There's so many options for training, and and someone listening that has a lot of respect for your wisdom, what do you consider to be the most? They've only got three days a week to work out. How do you set up a very simple training split for that person, assuming their movement and mobility is in a good place? I would have an understanding for how much of a response I can have from cardiovascular standpoint, from an strength standpoint, and more or less a mobility standpoint. So <laughs> it's kind of this thing where how can I combine these things or play or, or play with this to get more out of it. Now, if somebody only has three days to train, use it for training. I think mobility is something that should be happening almost daily, regardless of what you're doing. That Everybody has 10 minutes, they're sitting in front of a TV or they're watching or they're reading or doing something. There's no reason why you can't do mobility and things like that or invest in some breath work and things like the Wim Hof method, which I think will change all of that. Um, I, I actually think that the breathing component is the most important component of anything uh, at this point in my life. So that said, I think understanding from a cardiovascular perspective, if those three days out of the week get you the biggest bang for your buck, you should be optimizing that. Does that mean going and running three to five miles or you know doing 30 to 45 minutes of cardiovascular work? Probably not. That might mean doing some high glycolytic work one day and then maybe some you know easier stuff another day. And then incorporating it on the third day with maybe some weights or some gymnastics or some body weight movement stuff so that you're just doing something different. Um, mixing it up as best you can, I think, from those components. You know, Awesome. So making sure that you're addressing cardiovascular fitness, strength, and mobility throughout your week and specifically those three workouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, movement is, is the king. If you can teach yourself and understand, hey, here's why I'm training – like I'm training so that I can understand how to move better in life. Connect those dots. Like we don't learn to deadlift so that you can go flex your back to pick something up off the ground or help somebody or pick something heavy up off the ground that's not a barbell. You deadlift so that you can understand spinal position and being in a hip hinge. Like right. understand, connect, use squat so that you know how to sit on a toilet. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, it's, so just connect the dots. Brian, this, is, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a super busy guy. 
where can people go to, as I mentioned, I have Power Speed Endurance, Unbreakable Runner, both fantastic books have changed the way that I train and the way that I train other people. Where can people go to, to see what you're up to and what you're working on and, and some of these cool projects that you're doing with big, Wim and Larry? The big project I'm working on right now, there's actually a couple. It's XPT Life. So, well, XPT, Street Performance Training with Laird Hamilton. Um, and the website for that is XPT Life. We're kind of taking the whole lifestyle concept and showing people, you know, um, what what we do and how we do it. And, and, and this is really a formula. Like we, from the breathing to the recovery stuff to the brain training to the eye training to the language training, it's all there. Um, and I just kind of transitioned out of CrossFit Endurance and I'm moving everything over to Power Speed Endurance. So they can check that out. That should be launching this week. Um, the Power Speed Endurance website, which we're good, it's just kind of the evolution of what we've done with CrossFit Endurance. Um, and there should be more coming out of that stuff. And that kind of falls within the XPT spectrum as well, but it's on its own site right now. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you for your time. I, I appreciate it very much. And uh, I've learned a lot. I've had a lot of fun. Um, and have a, have a blast in Hawaii this week. Great. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right. This episode is brought to you by the Kangen SD501 Platinum Water Machine. The Kangen water machine produces ionized, alkaline, and acidic waters through a process called electrolysis. And these waters can be used for various purposes, including drinking, cooking, beauty, cleaning, and improving your health and optimizing your energy and focus. Kangen machines are utilized by everyone from Bill Gates to Barack Obama, Demi Moore, Brad Pitt, Beyonce, Tiger Woods, Oprah Winfrey, Angelina Jolie, Julia Roberts, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lopez, Donald Trump, Madonna, Jack Nicholson, Robert Downey Jr. The list goes on and on. And it's one of the secrets to many people's success and energy and overcoming some of the chronic degenerative conditions we face today. I've heard stories of people getting off of dozens of prescription medications simply by drinking this Kangen alkaline water. And the results that I've experienced from my Kangen SD501 Platinum have been profound. We all know that we're supposed to drink more water, right? But the problem is that most of the time when people start to implement that advice, they're drinking the wrong types of water. And this can actually do more harm than good. For example, over 315 different chemicals have been identified in American tap water. And if you're taking the next step and you're trying to perhaps make a wiser decision by drinking bottled water instead, well... The minimum required standard for bottled water is that it just has to be as good as tap water. So you may still be exposed to all of those same chemicals, not to mention the fact that bottled water is photodegradable, meaning if it comes in these plastic water bottles and is exposed to sunlight, which is almost an inevitability, that plastic is going to start breaking down. And even if it's BPA-free plastic, you're still going to be exposed to a number of different plastic-based chemicals that provide unwanted health consequences. So it's very important to intelligently choose the source of our water, and that's one of the reasons that I use the Kangen SD501 Platinum. In a recent interview, Barack Obama's cardiologist, Gerald Bresnahan, who was also cardiologist to President Reagan, Clinton, Bush, the Queen of England, and the Pope, said the following, quote, 
We have understood the importance of alkalizing diets for decades, but we've been unsuccessful in getting our patients to eat a perfectly alkaline diet because we cannot eat enough alkaline foods to keep our body alkaline. To have something that changes the pH of the body from acid to alkaline based on something we are already doing, that is drinking water, we can get people alkaline very easily. Hundreds of thousands of our patients have seen remarkable results from drinking Kangen medical-grade drinking water. We are doing our part to bring this technology to the medical community in the United States because Kangen water is already a medical device in Japan. This is going to be a great thing for everyone and will change the lives of millions of people. And once again, that's Dr. Gerald Bresnahan, cardiologist to the president's. When my clients come in for weekend intensives, I help them hyperhydrate using Kangen 9.5 pH water, and many of them feel an a benefit almost immediately. It is a bit pricey, but I promise you there is no better investment you can make in your health than ensuring the quality of water you drink is of the highest standard and is effectively going to be able to transport across cellular membranes. So if you're interested in checking out and learning more about the Kangen water machine, I encourage you to go to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Kangen. That's biohackingsecrets.com forward slash K-A-N-G-E-N to learn more about SD501 Platinum and the benefits it can provide to you and your family. This episode is brought to you by primalblueprint.com, which I have shopped at for years. I love a number of their products and I have two to recommend right off the bat. Number one is perhaps the condiment I recommend most often to new clients, and that is their Primal Kitchen Mayo. It's made with avocado oil and cage-free organic eggs. Best of all, it's free from soy and canola oil, which are usually genetically modified and sprayed with nasty herbicides like glyphosate. It's one of the few things I used to really miss when keeping my nutrition dialed in, and now I don't have to anymore. It's amazing. You will thank me. Primal Kitchen Mayo. The second is their dark chocolate almond bars made with grass-fed collagen, Turkish almonds, and pumpkin seeds. These are delicious and addicting. I'm a closet fat kid, so I usually buy them when I'm in a position to consume the entire 12-bar box in a matter of days, which is usually how things unfold. The collagen in these bars has been shown to reduce joint pain, improve sleep quality, support skin, hair, and nail growth, and enhance digestion. Many female clients report a more youthful appearance and fewer wrinkles. I love them, and I think you will too. So all you need to do to give them a try is go to primalblueprint.com. That's P-R-I-M-A-L-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T.com. And you can choose one of those two products, Primal Kitchen Mayo, Dark Chocolate Almond Bars, or more than a dozen other products, and Biohacking Secrets approved books, products, and recipes. It's that easy. Go to primalblueprint.com and grab some delicious, healthy food. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Millennial Health Systems. Millennial Health Systems engineers innovative and practical light hacking tools for enhancing energy, detoxification, boosting immune function, improving focus, accelerating recovery, and much, much more. They're the brains behind two of my favorite light biohacks, and I've been using them for a long time now myself and with my one-on-one clients, the Theralumin and the Spectrumite. The Spectrumite utilizes frequency and color combinations delivered through 40 high-powered LEDs to increase mitochondrial function, the energy powerhouses in our cells that produce ATP, boost nitric oxide production, and encourage a state of relaxed focus. 
It's based on NASA research, which found this type of low-level laser therapy, abbreviated LLLT, greatly enhanced the natural wound healing process and more quickly returned patients to a pre-injury and pre-illness level of activity. It's a one-stop shop for all of your light hacking needs. I use both the Spectrumite and the Theralumin every week and consider the Theralumin a cornerstone of the programs I put together to help some of my clients recover from chronic fatigue and other conditions with infectious causation like Lyme disease. The Spectrumite is controlled via Wi-Fi using a smartphone application that's intuitive and easy to use. And the Theralumin has literally two buttons, on and off. It's very simple. You can check out both products at MillennialHealthSystems.com. That's MillennialHealthSystems.com. Two L's and two N's in Millennial. And right now, my listeners, you guys, will get $100 off the Theralumin and $50 off the Spectrumite. Just mention the special code BIOHACKS, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, to get that discount.